0: Okay, well, it is good to be with you again. Uh, I am so thankful, again, for just an opportunity to uh, bring the word to my home congregation. Um, I get to speak again at the end of the month to a congregation that's not my own, and I enjoy speaking there, but this is a real, a real blessing. Um, so let's, let's hear from the Lord from 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, ...verses 3 through 12... ...and I should tell you... ...if it seems at times like I get lost in the weeds... ...in First Peter... ...it's because I'm working on a book... ...on First Peter... ...and so i got all this information... ...and you know... ...trying to whittle it down to you know... ...a 50 minute sermon is... ...I'm kidding... ...is difficult... ...so uh, just bear with me... Um, ...but uh, let's hear from the Lord... ...blessed be the God... And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for preserving this word for 2,000 years and for making it just as relevant to us today as it was to people in the first century who desperately needed to hear it. So, Father, open our ears, eyes, hearts, and minds to the good news of the living hope that you give us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Okay, so, Jean-Paul Sartre was a French existentialist philosopher who wrote this, Hell begins where hope ends. He said that. I did not learn that in community college when I had to study Intro to Philosophy and Jean-Paul Sartre... ...what I learned was that Jean-Paul Sartre came up with this idea... ...that existence precedes essence. And I thought at this exact moment... ...I am so getting an F in this class... ...because I have no idea what that even means. But basically, Sartre's argument... ...or his, his great idea that he came up with... ...is existence is all there is. You just exist... He also said we are condemned to freedom. And the reason he said that is he said, you know, we exist and everything after that is up to us. There are no truths outside of us. There is just what we make, what we think about, what we decide is is good. And so out of this existence, right, existence being the most important thing, came this idea of existential philosophy, which is all about you are whatever you decide to do and think is kind of the primary driver. And so at some point in his thinking, he decided that hell begins where hope ends. Which is spot money on, isn't it? Because if you have to get through life... and all meaning and all values and all morality and everything comes from what you decide... Whatever it is that you're going to hope in better be awesome. Because when that breaks down, you are in big, big trouble. And so this idea that hell begins where hope ends is spot on. Now, of course, nobody in this room has a problem with this. Because if I were to ask you, where is your hope, you would all say... See, that's perfect. There should be songs about that. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. Right? But here's the thing. In a moment of complete honesty, let me just tell you that we don't really believe that most of the time. And that's what Peter is writing about. Because Peter is way smarter than Jean-Paul Sartre. Peter knows ...already that hell begins where hope ends. And so Peter's job in writing to these elect exiles... ...who are living in Asia Minor... ...who don't have any agency... ...they just are there... ...and their situation is not going to change anytime soon. They're not going to be able to make, make Turkey great again... ...or build back better. They just are. And so what Peter knows is that hell begins where hope ends. And so he knows that he needs to give them a hope that will never end. Because for them to be faithfully present, they have to have a hope that doesn't end. But what he knows he's pushing back against is our reality. Which is, we like to hope in things that we can touch, that we can see, that we can earn... And that we can control. We like to hope in those things. Because we have some kind of agency around them. And our lives, like we are just like these people in the first century. Our lives are filled with uncertainty. They're filled with suffering. They're felt filled with longing. In Isaiah, it says, you'll pass through the waters and I will be with you. Does it really feel like that most of the time? That the waves will not overcome you? Does it, do we, do we expect, experience that most of the time? Because man, oh man, I feel like I am getting scorched all the time. And that I am always just about to drown. And so I look at passages like this and I think, are you kidding me? That's supposed to give me hope? You know what, how miserable life is sometimes? And Peter does, and so Peter writes to him, writes to this group of people, and he offers them a hope that they can actually believe in, that can sustain them. And so that's what we're going to do here in our remaining time, because we're going to look at the paradox of this hope, right? So last week we talked about the paradox of being elect in exiles. Elect is good, exiles is bad, And yet they go together better than Captain Crunch cereal and sardines. They actually work well. And so today what we're going to look at is the paradox of our hope. That the hope that Peter offers them is something that they can't see. Something they can't touch. Something they can't earn. And something that they can't control. And Peter says, this is the hope that you need. This is the hope that's going to get you through everything. This is the hope that's going to make it so that you're not overwhelmed. And yet, you can't see it, touch it, control it, or earn it. And that's the paradox. And so, I want to just kind of unpack this briefly. That first of all, in the midst of our uncertainty... Our hope produces confidence. Look at verses 3 through 5 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So think about all the things they have to be uncertain about. There's no voting. They can't say, Man, this Caesar is really bad. We've got to vote him out of office. They don't have that. There's no health insurance. They get sick, they you know part of the reason there's no health insurance is there's really no doctors or hospitals. You get sick, you die. There's no vaccines. I found out this week uh, from Jen Gwinnup... ...that if she had been born in 1900... ...she would be dead. Because she has type 1 diabetes. And prior to 1922... ...there was no cure. You died. Wow. If you're kid... ...if you have a kid in 1800... They died. There was literally no hope. You got an infection prior to 1928. You know what there wasn't? Penicillin. Think about that. Till 1928, infections would kill you. Think about that. They had no pensions. When you were done working, you were done having money. That was just the end of it. But things are so much better now, aren't they? Like we, we don't have the uncertainty that they had. Right? So much, we have so much more control over our lives. Right? Like elections. Always work out for us. Health. I mean, there's really no sickness that we can get today... ...that we're worried about getting... ...that might end our lives like cancer, Alzheimer's, Lou Gehrig's disease, MS. And how about our pensions? Like we, many of you have pensions. Some of you are retired from the government. You had a government pension. None of you are concerned about the stock market going always in one direction and never in the other direction. And then there's our kids, right? Right? Parents never face uncertainty about their children. We always know that every hope that we have for them is just going to happen. It's going to be spectacular. So the the reality is is that we have just as much uncertainty as these people of, of the first century. And here's what Peter says to them. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused you to be born again to a living hope. Here's what he says about it. This hope... Not earned. You did nothing to deserve it. He says it was according to his great mercy, which which rewires our brains right away because we live in a world right now that says you get what you earn. I earned that promotion. I earned that grade. And what this says is, no, according to his great mercy. And you know who his great mercy applies to? Everybody. Everybody. His great mercy applies to everyone, regardless of what your pedigree is, regardless of who your parents are, regardless of where you went to school, regardless of how much money you have. You need mercy. And it's given to you for nothing. And then he uses this phrase, he has caused us, which means you didn't even want it. Think about that. This gift, this gift of hope, this gift of living hope, according to his great mercy, he has caused you to be born again. You were sitting there dead and he said, you're going to be born again and now it's happened to you. And you did nothing to earn it or deserve it. Think about how amazing this is. He's offering them a living hope that they can't see, control, touch or impact and he gives it to them out of mercy and he gives it to them and again here's the rub we don't like that we really don't we like things that we can earn that we can control that we can see it's why we check our stock statements right? it's why we hang our degrees on the wall because those are things that we earned and that we can point to and we can say see see what I have see what I have to To kind of give me some credibility. Do you know who I know? It's totally contra the gospel. Which is why things like pride and greed and envy are sins. Because when you say look at what I've earned. Look at what I have. I have more than you. I want what you have. It's completely against the gospel. The gospel is what you don't deserve God gives to you. And he gives it to you. He opens your hands and sets it in there. And so when you say, I want more. Or I deserve more. Or I want what they have. It's contrary to the very nature of the gospel. And then Peter goes on to say that this hope is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. It is, as Al Gore might say, kept for you in a lockbox. Right, it is, that's a, like a 30-year-old reference that you young people will have to ask your parents about when you ask them about the banana seat. Right, but everything that we have, everything we can strive for, can be taken away. The best life that you all have, that we all have, can be taken away in one brain injury. Think about that. One brain injury, your lives are just completely changed immediately. And so Peter is writing to these people in the first century who have almost no agency over their lives other than kind of day-to-day life. And he says that this hope that's being given to you out of mercy is kept for you imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is always there. This is great news for people who are super poor and can't do anything to change their circumstances. It says, hey, everything that you need, I will give you. And it can never, ever, ever be taken away from you or tarnished. It will never become uncool or unhip." It will always be there no matter what happens. And so in the midst of uncertainty, our hope produces confidence. But also in the midst of our suffering, our hope produces joy. Look at again at the passage. It says, in this, and he's referring to this salvation... In this salvation you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's what Peter's saying. Four things. One, your suffering is real. That's what he's saying. Your suffering is real because he says... If for a little while you've been grieved by various trials, he's not saying those things didn't happen, he's saying they're real things that actually happened. There will be fire, there will be waves, but they will not overcome you. But he's saying th- these bad experiences happen. He also says that they're unavoidable. So we're going we're gonna to do a little kind of a show and tell here. So I know that most of you don't bring a Bible to church, you bring it on your phone, and this... This example doesn't work with a phone. It only works with a book. So everybody reach in front of you and grab the chorus book... ...that is in front of you. And we're going to pretend like it's a Bible. Okay? So here's, here's what I want to convey to you... ...when I say that our suffering is unavoidable. Okay? So open up your, your chorus book like this... ...and I want you to grab, say, the first two... ...I'll even go as far as to tell you... ...you can grab the first three pages... Okay? And I want you to hold them in your hand like this. Just like that. You got three pages. Okay? Now I want you to, with your other hand, flip to the very back of your chorus book. And I want you to grab the last. Let's just go three. I'm going to go big time. Go three pages. Okay? So, now you got this three pages here. You got three pages here. You got a whole bunch in the middle, right? Whole bunch in the middle. So. There are two places in scripture where suffering is avoidable because it doesn't exist. And that is Genesis 1 through 2. We'll say represented by these three pages of paper. In the garden when everything's amazing. In Revelation 21 where it says there will be no more mourning, no more sorrow, no more death. That's this right here. Okay, That's where suffering is avoidable and it's avoidable because it doesn't exist. This, you know what this is? This is where you are. Right? You're here. You're, you're not in these other three, six pages. No one here is in those six pages. No one Peter's writing to is in those six pages. They're in the middle where there is suffering. Suffering that comes on from things that we've done, suffering that happens because of things that others have done to us, suffering that just happens because there's a hurricane or the power goes out and all of our meat gets spoiled, or we just get COVID and are sick or we get cancer. There's things that just happen, but it's unavoidable. And Peter says, Listen, that this this happens. But he also says it's temporary. That our suffering is temporary. He says for a little while. Well, How long is a little while? Well if you're a parent. And your kids are suffering. A little while is like five minutes would be good. But two minutes. Two months is about as long as we're willing to go. Right. If, if our kids are suffering as a parent. You're willing to kind of let it play itself out. For about two months. Before you start getting pretty angry at God. Because we, we look at this and we say. Well it's just a little while. The people of Israel were in Egypt for 430 years. People lived in oppression in Israel for centuries under Caesar. Suffering is temporary. That temporary can last a very, very long time. And it can be exhausting if you don't have a hope that can endure And finally, our suffering has meaning. It says that so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold or silver that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory. That it has a purpose. That the purpose of our suffering, bear with me now, is to actually allow us to experience joy... ...along with our suffering. We have hope. And our hope is that our suffering... ...even though it is real... ...even though it is unavoidable... ...even though it may last a really long time... ...it has meaning. It's not just random. Christ suffered. It says in Hebrews that for the joy... That was set before him he endured the cross. The joy of being with his father. The joy of of giving us salvation that can't be taken away. And so yes, life is hard. And it can be hard for a very, very long time. It can be incomprehensibly difficult. When I was seven, my mom divorced my biological father. My biological father is really good at two things. Making money. He's worth millions of dollars. My biological father is also good at something else. He's really good at beating women and children unconscious. He used to do that to me all the time when I was like five and six and seven. Usually right after he did it to my mom. And they got a divorce, and my mom remarried the greatest guy in the world. His name's Jerry. He just he had this tricked-out Chevy van, gold-colored, with little bubble windows on the side. 1975 it was just amazing. I mean, he has big, bushy, bushy hair. And I, it, was, it was everything I always wanted. Like, I, a dad who loved me and, and could take care of me. And... Uh, One day when I was 12, my dad fell. And he hit his head on the corner of a cement stair. And he was permanently disabled. Never went back to work. Six months later, a child that they had died of crib death. While I was watching the Andy Griffith show. I was 12. It destroyed our life. It destroyed my life. My mother... Ended up homeless for a number of years. Passed away from complications from homelessness. Life is hard. Life is just hard sometimes. That, that bike seemed pretty cool. But you know when your life gets wiped out. It's just hard. When I was 17. I decided life had been too hard for too long. And decided to end my life in a week because I'd never been to the Rocky Mountains and I was going to go with my uh, youth group to the Rocky Mountains or or not my youth group but my uh, senior class trip and we got there and uh, we we camped out I thought it was pretty amazing and a couple girls from the next camp came by and said hey you should come to our campfire tonight I'm like hey okay turns out they were with a Baptist youth retreat from Kansas City Missouri and the guy laid out the gospel And it literally saved my life. But my actual life didn't really get any better. But one day it's all going to end. Because our suffering is temporary. And we get to have joy. And yet, you know what they refer to Presbyterians as? Come on now. Say it out loud. How can this be? We have a joy... It says, may be found to result in praise and glory, that we would rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We have a hope that is kept for us imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And they call us the frozen chosen? Dude, we should be giving charismatics a run for their money. We should be making charismatics going, Wow, how come we can't be as zealous and joyful as those Presbyterians? They set the bar so high we can barely jump over it. I'm dead serious. We should have that kind of joy. And finally, in the midst of our longing, our hope produces expectation. In verses 10 through 12, Peter talks about the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours... ...and they were searching and inquiring carefully. All throughout Scripture, the Old Testament, these prophets had been waiting and hoping for something to change... ...for someone to come. And Peter says the prophets of the Old Testament, you know what they were waiting for and hoping for? Jesus. They were waiting and hoping for him. They didn't get him. You got him. And that is amazing. Though you have not seen him, you love him, it says in verse 8. Keep in mind, this is written in the first century. Jesus was alive for 33 years. After that, the people who Peter's writing to, they never saw him. They're just like us. They've never seen Jesus, not one time. And yet they believe in him. That this, this isn't just, take hey kids. Remember when I told you that explaining hope is kind of weird and hard? Here's the thing most of us act like hope is want. I hope the Chicago Cubs win the World Series this year, said I for my entire life until 2016 when they won it. <laughs> then they haven't been back since. Right? I hope I get a bicycle. I hope we get a different president. I hope this president gets reelected. Hope is not the same as wanting. We have to stop using it that way. When the Bible uses hope, it's using something that is absolutely certain to occur. Absolutely certain to occur. They were hoping that Jesus would rise from the dead, and he did. Our hope is secure. Everything else, everything else is a moving target marriages, kids, jobs, politics everything else there is actually no certainty in any of those things we want to have the best marriages we can we want to work at them we want to do the best job at our job we want to work at it but listen there are no guarantees the only guarantee you have is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead to provide you a living hope that is kept for you imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And that is a salvation that you can count on no matter what. And you don't have to earn it, even though you can't see it and touch it. So here's my challenge to you this morning. This is a tough one. I won't be back for a couple weeks after this, probably. Stop it. All of you, just stop it. Stop hoping in things that you can control, that you can see, that you can earn, and that you can touch. Stop it. Because it's not the gospel. A lot of those things are good and worth wanting but it's not appropriate to hope in them because they are not certain many of us are going to live many more decades life may get better life may get harder and what we need is a hope that can get us through and that hope is a living hope that is offered in Christ let's pray Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together this morning to consider the difference between wanting and hoping. We thank you that our hope is sure and true in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.